Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of blockbuster video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom and pop video store killer, the corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars who are in the know arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Talkbuster podcast. As always, I'm Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa, the host of the show. This is yet another podcast that you all know well and good, where I talk to random people on the Internet. Um, uh, Before I get into uh, my guest, who's a returning guest from an earlier episode of the show, just wanted to handle a little housekeeping. Um, I want to do my patron thank you for my $15 or more a month patrons. Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, and Tyler Freshcorn. And I'd like to thank my two newest patrons, Mike Harold, who's an old friend from uh, high school, and Jeremiah Abrams. I really appreciate you guys joining in. And um, some of those recent uh, names there were people that helped push me over my $300 mark, and all of those folks are going to be getting a uh, sticker from the last blockbuster in the world in Bend, Oregon in the mail. Um, They were supposed to go out about a week ago, but uh, my wife had her gallbladder removed. So I had to slow down from doing anything other than taking care of her, but don't worry folks. Those are on the way. Um, And this show, like a lot of my other shows is brought to you by the geeks with shields podcast. Each week hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the geeks with shield podcast for all your nerdy needs. Um, And also you can check me out on the final episode of the season. I believe for geeks who haunt their sister podcast, we broke down the best horror films of the decade. So go over there and check that out. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome back my guest, Dave Carrera. Dave, um, reintroduce yourself to the world. Hey, hey, Chris, thank you so much for having me back on. I really appreciate it. Um, Well, to those of you who don't know, um, there is actually still someone from the corporate side still working with the last blockbuster. That's myself. Um, I have the honor of being the last of the original corporate employees still working with them. Um, and, uh, I actually started in, uh, 1992 working in stores here in Dallas and have been working with, uh, Blockbuster in various capacities and various roles, both in the store and at corporate ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, you worked directly with Sandy, 
and uh, um, all those folks over at uh, Blockbuster and Bend, Oregon, who have, you know, since I think when I talked to you originally, I had either just spoken with Sandy or hadn't even done my first episode with her when you were on the last time. Right. As a matter of fact, I think that the second, I think, because you interviewed her twice, right? That's right. I think the second one, you were just about to have the second conversation, I believe, with her at that point, if if I remember that correctly. But yes. And that, um, that, she that had, sounds right. Yeah, she had mentioned that you'd spoken with her and then how much fun you guys had had. And so uh, that's when I reached out. Yeah, I'm actually, I've had Ryan on since, and um, I think both her and Ryan are actually going to come back on. We're trying to make that a, you know, in a couple times, couple, every couple months, have them back on, get the uh, finger on the pulse of where things are going over there, which only still seems to be going great, as far as I can tell. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, I talked to her um uh actually speak to her on the phone occasionally and from what i can pick up uh it's not just a novelty um which was kind of our concern a little bit you know spike in business you know last blockbuster and people would be looking to them for just sort of a nostalgia thing but i think they've actually got some real core business out there that's that's keeping them going which is exciting for us because of course we'd like to keep it going as long as we as long as we possibly can and I'm working to try and help her do that. So anything that I can provide to, to help keep it going, I'm, I'm all on board. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it, it's such a cool thing. I'm actually planning, um, if things go according to plan in the, after the new year, scheduling a trip for myself to go out there and visit, record a live episode of the show with them right in the store. I think that'd be amazing. No, that would be, that would be a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, I, I have not had a chance to journey up there myself, but I'd, I'd like to, uh, maybe we could coordinate the same time as a matter of fact, but, uh, I'd, uh, I'd actually love to go up there and, and actually visit the store and, uh, maybe do a live Facebook lead or uh, feed or something at the same time. Oh, that'd be amazing. Uh, yeah, it really would. And I, I, what's, uh, what's really funny about that is I still have, um, uh, uh, friends that are out in the other part of Dallas that um, where the original store was, and I pass it, <laughs> I pass it regularly here with you know every couple of weeks I pass it. So uh, you know every time I pass that location, although it's long since changed, obviously I I still get a lot of nostalgia going on. That's dude, uh, yeah. We'll we'll have to talk offline. Maybe we can put like a a crowdfund thing together to support you and I getting out there and doing something. And then that, that way we don't have to, uh, uh, that way we don't have to financially ruin our lives just to, just <laughs> to hang out in Oregon with friends. Cause it was either going to be that, or I was going to try to coordinate with my day job to, uh, cause we, we have a way where if you fly somewhere, like if I was flying to LA for work, I could be like, well, you know, you're already paying for a flight. So I'll pay for my flight between Oregon and LA, but just you guys pay to fly me to Oregon. First. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> or something like but- that. That's definitely a good way to do it. That's definitely. Well, and I, I've got, I have to give you a shout out. I, I uh, had a lot of friends who, since I had been on your uh, show earlier, I'd had a lot of friends that would start listening to you. So there, there, uh, there's a lot of people here in Dallas um, um, who originally worked with us at both at corporate and in the stores that are really enjoying the show. So uh, keep up the good work. Oh, thank you so much. P- please tell them. I'd love to have them on too. If, if they're at all interested in talking to a guy that is easy to talk to and, you know, there's no, I, but my favorite thing about the stuff that I do is I, you know, obviously there's negative things you can say about anything, but, mm-hmm. but I try to, I try to not have that be my show because punching down and taking down other people 
podcasting and this whole internet content creator stuff and you know hell the, the last blockbuster in general it's you know it's it's a family affair it's a group effort you know we're all in here to help support each other and right. there's just there's just too little time in the world it's not a competition right you know there there's so many podcasts out there that if you don't want to listen to one just don't listen to it right. you know yeah. what i mean you don't need to go oh i have to win so I have to go and make someone else's thing. You know, this isn't like the the blockbuster versus Hollywood video thing. You know, or, or exactly. Like well, and the thing is, is that uh, exactly on point. The the uh, true fact of the matter is, is that once you start to tilt negative in terms of your tone of your conversations and so forth, it's a slippery slope, right? It's a uh, it's uh, very hard to come back from that. So I'm I'm glad that you guys are able to to uh, keep the conversations in a very nostalgic, but sort of a uh, truthful assessment of what it was like in the stores, but having it be more of a nostalgic look back as opposed to a, you know, grousing around thinking about negativity and so forth. So I, I appreciate that also about your, uh, about your show. Yeah, that that's the idea. And, and, you know, to not, to not name names because they've requested to not be, but I've, I've actually gotten in touch with people from pretty damn high up. You know, mm-hmm. and I'd say even even the highest up of, of some areas that, you know, still exist in the business world and they're still doing well that have heard of my show through, um, you know, people that they used to work with. And I'd, you know, get contacted by, hey, I heard you're doing this thing. At first, I was worried it was going to be like a dunk on the company or a, why did it fail or this and that. And I'm pleased to let you know that I really enjoy what you're doing. Good. And that meant a lot to me because it's like and then, you know, of course, me being. The guy I am was like, well, you should come on. And they're like, you know, I was involved in the discourse for long enough that I'd rather have you guys that remember it fondly, but it isn't as much of a black spot for, right. you know what I mean? And it's like, that's, that, that's a great, great response. And I really appreciated hearing that from them rather right. than a, rather than a, you know, cease and desist. You're talking about my, my prior livelihood. Stop. That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. And it, and again, what would I do with that? Right. I'm not going to be like the snarky asshole that goes, sorry, no, this is my show. I, you know, I, I, I want to create something good. I, I don't. I, and so I don't know if you saw through my postings um, or anything, but um, in August, I actually did a live taping um, of this show. Did you hear about that? Yes. As a matter of fact, I was I was very in, uh, uh, glad to see that that was done. Uh, I think that that really took it to another level. So bravo. And, it, you know, the turnout again, we got 15, 20 people. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, that's, you know, kind of bummed. But it was a small venue. But, man, 15, 20 people that were 100 percent into it. Yeah. Like there wasn't a person that showed up that was like, you know, didn't come up afterwards and were like, I didn't know I needed this in my life. Uh, like, th- this is just great. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> well, and, and the, th- and the thing is, is I've, I've got some, uh, friends here that I regularly meet up with, um, for dinner and, and just, uh, social events and so forth, birthdays, that kind of thing. But there are some people that I talked to very recently, which I, uh, thought you might find interesting. Um, I had a chance to talk to um, Alan Payne. Who, yeah. So Alan Payne, for those of you who don't know, um, was the um, franchise owner of uh, Border Entertainment. Yep. And um, it, we had been dealing uh, together for a very long time. But most recently, 
uh, recent. Most recently, I uh, I say that kind of laughingly because that would have been almost six years now. Um, when the corporate stores closed, if you'll remember from our previous conversation, when the corporate stores closed, Border Entertainment was the largest of the remaining franchisees. And uh, Alan and I worked together to lay the infrastructure down to allow the stores to continue to operate. Um, and uh, I talked to him regularly. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him this morning um, about the fact that I was going to be on your podcast. And um, I've been working with him uh, as he's been researching some information for a book that he's going to be writing. Um, and I'm very interested to see his take on it. Um, but his book is going to cover the sort of the lifespan of Blockbuster. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And while, uh, and he pointed something out, which I guess I had not realized that while there are a lot of stories out there about the whole Blockbuster um, business model and sort of the uh, uh, customer experience and so forth, there's not one book that's, or one film that's actually covering from sort of beginning to end or beginning to current, I should say. Um, there are books out there that mostly focus on uh, either Wayne Huizinga's time or John's time, Johnny Niago's yep. time, or post, you know, Dish and beyond. But uh, there's not really a, a current um, uh, sort of view out there of the of the uh, company in total, much less from an actual franchise business owner perspective. So I'm really looking forward to his book. Uh, to see uh, to see his view of it, um, so that that's coming up. I'm really excited about that. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Do me uh, a favor if he if he's got that like linked anywhere. I don't know if he's already been promoting its existence or not. But please he's still in the, he's still in the editing phases at this point. So it it's still a little bit uh, away from being published at this point. Gotcha. But uh, but I'm sure that he would be more than happy to discuss with you kind of the finer details. Uh, it, it's 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 really fun talking to him because um, uh, he has a very intimate knowledge of the business from a owner perspective, but he also has a lot of uh, insight um, stories and so forth, which I was not aware of, obviously. And and I think it would really put some interesting context around the whole uh, history of the company. So, um, he would be an interesting person to interview, I think for your, for your show. Oh yeah. If he's interested, I'd love to have him on. Okay. Um, someone else that I ran into also recently, I'll, I'll tell you is, uh, Jay styles and, uh, yep. uh, Jay styles. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to him a couple of days ago and, and even this morning, cause I wanted to make sure I got my details right before I mentioned this. Uh, Jay and I had worked together, uh, for a very long time. As a matter of fact, we were right when I was started with it, uh, we had worked together as he was the person that actually handled the, um, um, corporate printing for the inserts and for labels and for all of the things that we stuck on <laughs> movies, um, his company and he specifically as the representative of the company uh, actually um, uh, helped us create and fashion the inserts that went into the Amrays. Wow. And, right. And so you want to talk about someone who could give you some real insight. Uh, he actually sought out um, 
the uh, original owners, David Cook and team, um, back when there was only one store and started selling them labels and uh, to put on the back of the original membership cards. Yep. Because I don't know if you remember, but the original membership cards was the paper card that then you printed out the membership information on a label and you stuck the label on the back of the card and then laminated it. I remember those. Yeah. So his original sort of entry point into the into the story was uh, selling those labels to Blockbuster. And then it grew into um, actually doing the inserts for the stores, uh, for the Amrays. And I, I talked to him because I wanted to make sure I got this number right because I had remember in conversation that he mentioned it in the past, but I just, it was such a large number. I wanted to make sure it was right. He mentioned to me that at, at the, at the height of um, our business, that the uh, vendor that he was um, uh, working for at the time, corporate express was actually supplying us the large rolls that would go through the print room and the distribution center here in McKinney to print the, the uh, the um, uh, inserts with the pre-printed stuff that would come from the distribution center. Those inserts were actually on large rolls, almost like a almost like a, a newspaper. Like when you walk into like the Dallas Morning News or something, you see those large rolls. Yep. At, when they were actually reached their peak, he was selling Blockbuster about seventy million. Um, what amounted to seventy million inserts. Jesus. Yeah. So that's 70 million inserts that were on rolls, that doesn't count the boxes of inserts that were separate sheet cuts that were for reprints and for um, anything that needed to be redone at the store level. This was just the stuff that got printed to come from distribution. The new stuff. Yeah. So if you think about 70 million a month, or a year, I'm sorry, 70 million a year, that is a tremendous number of inserts and a tremendous amount of product. Wow. I mean, that's pretty staggering. So it yeah, shows you how much I product mean, we were actually moving. That would be an incredible insight. In fact, you just that description uh, put a semi-related but not wholly related thing. My father was in the newspaper industry. Oh. And uh, he... He worked for um, the Daily Evening Item, which was the last family-owned um, newspaper on the East Coast. And they still are technically owned by the same family. And they were the last place in the area that had a printing press. Three-floor, oh. three-story, you know, old-fashioned printing press with, like, you know, like you'd see in the movie The Paper, right, with the guys climbing up the ladders and greasing the rolls and everything. Sure. And he would... He would bring me in. We used to do a lot of like Cub Scout and Boy Scout trips there because, you know, it's, it's a really cool thing to see. Right. And they were, oh, sure. you know, they were still setting the newspaper sheets by hand, you know, um, it, it was just, it was it was just awesome. Right. And the rolls you talked about, the giant rolls of paper, which were, you know, seven or eight feet tall and four feet wide, right, exactly. four feet um, diameter. He would take me there and this is probably highly illegal. But he would take me there at like three in the morning and help. It was like his favorite thing was to help with the printing, even <laughs> though he was the general manager of the place. And so sure. he'd take me down and let me sit on the forklift with him and we'd drive the reels around to like put them wow. onto the machine. And it was just, 
it's such a good memory. <laughs> and you just you just brought me right back to that just with that quick description. Uh, I think you I think you definitely get a kick out of talking to Jay. He um um and he he definitely has some insight in terms of the uh the sort of the internal workings and dealing with all the various management teams along through the years but um it's uh we get together occasionally for lunch and it's fun uh talking back with him about uh things and how it's changed over the years and so forth and he uh uh he's very anxious that the uh that the story c- continues to be told for future 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 business analytics as well as for um you know just making sure that everybody's aware of what it actually took to make the store go um he's very interested in listening to your to your show as well oh that's wonderful i uh you know it and this is why I like talking to you. You 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 give me an insight to the side of the store that I never got to touch. Yeah. Right. So it and these guys are gonna you know, this is this is gold for me because I these are the type of people and I want my friends to hear these stories right because it's you know I I don't know if you listened to recently I had Taylor Morden on who's who's yes. doing the the blockbuster movie. Yeah. And uh, he also did it. Found out he did a movie about ska music too, which is another passion of mine. So I had to have him on my other show as well. But uh, <laughs> what's cool is, you know, he's I guess already has a movie he, for rent at the last blockbuster in Oregon, which is hysterical. And his last blockbuster movie will go for rental there, and the ska movie he made will go for rental. So he's going to have movies that are still rentable at a blockbuster, and one of them is about blockbuster. <laughs> I think that's really freaking Talk about- cool. Talk about coming full circle on that to be to be a customer and, and and enjoy it and then actually make the movie about it and have your movie go into the store. It's just that's pretty amazing. Did you did you listen to his episode, by the way? I did. I did. As a matter of fact, I, th- I thought that was really enjoyable, too. Because it's so wild how he how he fell into it, because I figure, oh, this is a guy that, you know, has been following the store. It's just no, no, I, I was going to make a movie about Blockbuster and happened to move to Bend. And didn't know there was even a blockbuster there, and then the one that was close to me closed. <laughs> it's just like this is insane, <laughs> right? You know, talk about all the stars aligning to make it happen. I, uh, like you, I didn't realize that he uh, that he actually lived there um, and took that as an opportunity to actually, you know, spawn the idea for the for the story. I I thought that maybe he was somebody in just sort of in film school and was looking for a project and then just sort of came upon it that way. Um, right. But I didn't realize that he actually was a local resident that was taking advantage of, uh, of a local business uh, uh, story that he could actually do that way. That's, that's great. And I got to say, after seeing his output, cause I've, I've seen, the two movies he has available, which is this Scott movie and this other one. If he does as thorough of a job with this blockbuster movie, th- this is this is going to be quite a keepsake. The, the guy's a talent; he Good. really is. This this is he because he he did the. Are do you are you familiar with ska music or at least like the '90s American version of it? Sort of like the mighty, <laughs> mighty boss tones stuff like that. So yeah. to to do to do a movie about that genre of music, you know, you could just make it be a movie where it's like you know a bunch of guys talking about the '90s and how great it was, and that that is the movie he made. But he starts it with a history lesson of where the music came from, and interviews the people that were in like the original Jamaican bands that spawned it. And I'm like, this is insane! Like, how are you going to do this in two and a half hours? And he he nailed it. It was great. 
Good. Well, I'm I'm hoping that the um, if if it's anything like um, what Sandy had alluded to in terms of the content and the sort of the fit and finish that they're looking for in the final product, um, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be really really good. I um, I'm just I, I'm just trying to convince him to put me in the movie. That's that's <laughs> the thing I'm. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. The, to put put all of us in the movie, that would be great. Uh, at least have a group shot at the end or something, right? He, he posts every once in a while. Oh, we're going to be down at the store and Ben filming some pickup stuff. Anyone that wants to be in the film, come on down and help out. And I'm like, I need to live here. Oh, <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Well, uh, dude, I, he got well, to, he got to interview Kevin Smith, which if you're going to do a movie about video rental and you don't have that guy in there, that, well, that's, I was going to mention that I, I, uh, I heard in the, in the, uh, uh podcast that you guys did, I heard that he had mentioned that and uh, that, you know, that just sort of seals the deal for me to, to actually see it. And it's cool because you can't, you know, he said, you know, 99% of the people you interview, even the people that should have a negative outlook on this story in this store have nothing but fond memories because they look at it as the, you know, working there, like working there, interacting with there, not, not being, you know, necessarily involved in, you know, a corporate decision, which again, the people working there at a good time too. It, it's just, you know, you get those people that, you know, I, did I like working there every day? No. Did I like some of the people in management? No, but all of my memories are great. Even the stupid ones, even the bad ones. Right. And the only person he was really able to find that had a negative outlook on blockbuster was Lloyd Kaufman from trauma. And I'm like, that guy of course would be the one guy that you'd get that you want in your movie shitting on blockbuster because of all the things that blockbuster had a positive effect on, they kind of stopped him from being able to make money because he made NC 17 rated horror movies and blockbuster was the antithesis of that. Right. (laughs) You know, well, you know, and and the thing is, is that um, I, I know that the the other side of the argument is, you know, Big Blue, Big Big Monster came in, destroyed all the mom and pops, and blah blah blah. But the thing is, is that you know, and and I think this is a point that that Alan Payne would readily uh, make as well, is that when you really look back on it, the when Blockbuster came in. Um, the ability for Blockbuster to succeed was built on the fact that the mom and pop show uh, stores proved the business model, right? Exactly. That there was a demand for content to be rentable, to be watchable. And, um, you know, it was just ripe for being consolidated into what Blockbuster morphed into. And in fact, I don't know that people had realize this but at least in dallas anyway it was already heading that way because there were already stores that were blockbuster like that um were already in existence and were already large video rental stores that were not these you know dank little uh you know strip mall type of shops that were we sell tvs but we also here's our little video rental section you know um we we'd already seen a paradigm shift away from that model anyway to a larger store. And I think that to a large extent, what Blockbuster was able to do is come in and sort of do a, uh, what Lowe's did to a lumber yard, right? 
they yes. they made it bright and clean and hey you can bring your kids here and you know it's safe to walk around and you know and and I think that that's what Blockbuster did. So I don't know that they actually um at least initially set out with the intent of just, you know, doing the scorched earth policy of taking out all these little stores. I think that it was just that it grew out of a need that the public had to be entertained. And Blockbuster just delivered a better product, which is well, right. you know, and, capitalism, you know. And 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 the thing is, right, you know, you can talk about of course at the end of the day spending your money in a mom and pop is right. it makes you feel better. You're you're seeing how it benefits a person directly. And that's there's nothing that can be taken away from that, right? Right. But at the end of the day, it's not like a restaurant or a pizza place or uh um you know, you know, na- name a thousand other things. It's the product that they are selling versus the product that the mom and pop is going to sell you. It's the same product. Someone right. else made this film. The quality of the film has nothing to do with Blockbuster. Right. right. So all they did was saturate you with more of the stuff that you wanted. Now, does that mean that you're going to get less of like the smaller independent stuff? Sometimes. But Blockbuster did a pretty good job of attempting to pepper those things in there, too. Well, and, and also to that point, there was a there was a sort of a misconception that once Blockbuster went in, that there wasn't anybody else around. And I think that, again, if you really now that is probably true in rural areas or smaller towns or so forth where there wasn't enough, um, you know, uh, population to actually support multiple stores. But at least in the urban areas, we still found that there were there were tons of other video stores that were still out there. And as a matter of fact, even today, I know that you were talking with Taylor on the podcast about the fact that, you know, that there's still stores out there. And there are uh, family video, uh, which is just not four miles down the street from us, um, is still doing a blockbuster type format with a very similarly looking store. Um, and you know, they're, they're packed on the weekends. Got to get them on. I've had several people tell me about them. Yeah. And, and family video, you know, is, is, has been around for a really long time, you know, and I walk back in there now, what's funny about it. And I think that this is also something that kind of gets lost in the conversation is, is that I think that, um, I'm a true believer in the fact that things happen for a reason and that timing is everything and that, you know, were it not for a lot of other things happening that, uh, that Blockbuster would have probably been able to continue for some period of time, but I don't know that we would have been able to see it what it is now. And I'll explain that in my opinion, uh, I don't believe that uh, we would have the current mode of entertainment, if you will, being delivered what it is today to the household had it not been for Blockbuster and Netflix and some of these other people. And I'll tell you why. Because if this is my theory, and we've Alan and I have gone back and forth on this in a lot of spirited conversations, but it's my theory that if if you play out Blockbuster actually buying Netflix, let's say that that had mm-hmm. happened, 
right? Let's say the blockbuster had bought Netflix and that Netflix continued to um, be a, uh, even if it was a wholly owned subsidiary of blockbuster, and even if they were to supply a mail delivery DVD service, okay? Let's just say that that happened. I don't know that you would have seen the shift that we've seen recently in terms of um, non-network developed content. Because That's a very good I point. Think, since Yeah, I, I think, and it's my firm belief that had Netflix been bought that they would not have been able to be al either allowed or would not have been able to, or that we would not have had the business model, which would allow them to create uh, unique content. And if that did not happen, I don't think that we would see the real uh, growth in terms of uh, episode-driven content. Um, because House of Cards uh, is the one that immediately comes to mind. Um, I think that proved the, uh, the concept that you could have an independent um, service provider that was non-network and non-cable, right, non-HBO, that could come up with really entertaining uh, episodic uh, uh, content that people would be interested in and people would be willing to pay an additional service to watch. And I don't think that you would have seen the the growth in that area. So I don't know that uh, a couple of things. I don't think that if we had bought Netflix that they would have been able to develop original content because I, I, I think that we would have used them merely as a delivery for DVD. Okay. Well, right, because because Blockbuster's money, unless you know, unless you play it out that the Viacom selling the company to Dish and everything still happened, right. which I don't think any of that would have happened because there still would have been money in the company right. had you know they invested properly. Because if they're still owned by Paramount and Viacom, then they're still owned by filmmakers, and right. those filmmakers already have their TV subsidiary, so exactly. they don't need they already have money in with the networks. I mean, Paramount and everyone still have their hands in HBO and Turner and all that other stuff. So they wouldn't want to create competition for themselves. Right. Exactly. And, and also <laughs> I don't, I don't think that had we, um, had we bought Netflix, I also don't think that if you play it even further out, I don't think that you would have seen Amazon prime develop their content. I mean, ultimately, I think you probably would have, but I don't think that it would have come out in the way that it did. And the reason is because Netflix was was needed for Prime to actually believe and have confidence in a non-network, non-HBO delivered content. Right. Prime, think, Prime, Prime would have still come about, or at least Amazon being a network would have still come about, but it would have been the fire stick. It would exactly. have been like, here's a thing like Roku, you pay us, and then we give you access to all the content you already want without needing a cable provider. Here you go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I think that, uh, uh, you know, all of these other shows that have come along um, that are just, you know, success beyond even reasonable expectation, uh, Breaking Bad, 
uh, Better Call Saul, um, you know, even for prime shows like Bosch or some of these other ones that are just critically acclaimed, had Netflix not come along and been allowed to actually do uh, House of Cards and some of these other things that they had done initially, I think it would have eventually come around, but I don't think it would have nearly been uh, to the degree that it would have been. Because you really had you, you had uh, the network side, right, which was CBS, ABC, Fox, you know, uh, NBC, and they were the sanitized, kind of ready for prime time. Yeah, you can put a kid in front of it, and yeah, there might be a little bit of weird content, but you know, all in all, it's okay and it's sanitary, right? And yeah. then you had the other extreme of that, which was HBO, where you know they would just push the boundary every single time. You'd have the gratuitous violence, the gratuitous this and that and another. You'd have, although they were extremely good. You'd had shows like Sopranos or Six Feet Under or some of these other ones, which were unbelievably successful, but they were at the other end of that complete spectrum, right? And that that's a good point, right? Blockbuster, of course, was fine with renting these things. Right. But because they weren't explicit enough to be considered adult, exactly. which was the whole... But, but do you think Blockbuster would ever, ever produce a show like Breaking Bad? I don't See, think I they don't, would. I don't. I don't think that they would. I don't. I don't think that they would. I think that you need. Definitely something. wouldn't do Game of Thrones <laughs> like that's right. I mean, when you look, when you look exactly, when you look back on um, uh, kind of those types of shows, they needed the Netflix and they needed the AMC and they needed those networks to actually fill the gap between super sappy, syrupy, sweet kind of network stuff or even Hallmark Channel, right? Or the over-the-top type of approach that HBO would take, right? If 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 Breaking Bad were trying to, if you tried to put Breaking Bad on network, it would have been just a documentary about a guy, right? And yeah. if you tried to put if you tried to put Breaking Bad on the on uh, HBO, it would have turned into this gratuitous violence kind of Sopranos tone kind of thing. You needed that middle boundary to fill that gap, which would have been Prime, AMC, uh, Netflix, and some of these other ones. So, I, as a even, consumer of entertainment, even FX, for yeah, that matter, FX. FX is kind of like the the watered down version of HBO and and Showtime. Exactly, FX or FXX, uh, both um, are are filling that gap, and so. It, it's kind of a weird deal, right? Because when you really think back on it, um, as you know, mending as it was that oh, Netflix is going to come play in our in our space, and then you know we had the opportunity to go ahead and buy them and we didn't, and we were like, oh, really? And then you know that whole thing came about. But as a consumer of entertainment, I'm kind of glad that it played out the way that it did because I don't think that the I don't think that the current slate of movies from Hollywood, although massively successful in terms of superhero and some of that stuff, it's almost like Hollywood kind of gave up trying to produce like original, you know, non non uh, sequel type content, and they just left it to all of these m middle providers, 
right? It's weird. It's weird that those middle providers found a new format. And you're right. When you really break it down, it was it was Netflix that sparked it because they they took a horrible gamble. Right. In, re- in retrospect, it's genius. But exactly. when, when Netflix was trying to sell the blockbuster, they were doing it because they didn't see the DVD thing continuing. Exactly. They And so they were looking for someone to help fund this online streaming thing they were trying to do. And that's why Blockbuster wanted nothing to do with it. Exactly. They wanted nothing to do with it because they said this is never going to work. We're, we're too old fashioned. It's, it's the Nintendo thing. Blockbuster and Nintendo. Nintendo are very similar. They have traditional old-fashioned views that have worked for forever, mm-hmm. and they're unwilling to change quickly or take a gamble. Exactly. And, Even if they see what the end might, the end game might be, or what the future might be, they're they're so risk averse that they don't want to go down that road. And you it's know. interesting because you start thinking, okay, what would the world look like if Blockbuster had stuck around? with netflix in hand it would be well you know what it would be like this you know the blockbuster store is now the the background right granted it's probably how they're making the majority of the money but they're going to take the marketing away from it and kind of go yeah you know you buy a movie pass in the store for 20 bucks a month to get unlimited rentals and we'll give you a free netflix membership right right (laughs) and now it's all of a sudden yeah Exactly. And now what you've got is you've got all of these people that are all these companies that are out there trying to jump on the distribution bandwagon. And I think what you're going to find is um, as it as it expands right you now, Disney Plus, um, Netflix, uh, you know, Hulu, you've got all these different players out there. Right. And they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of the number of service providers. People are trying to disconnect from the cable and so forth and so on. My view of it is you're probably going to see a collapse of a lot of that down to, you know, a handful of service providers that can provide that middle road, right? Because you're always going to have the need for the network guys, right? Yeah. Because network guys are going to have the funding, they're going to have the reach, they're going to have the viewership. You know, you're going to always need that. And you're always going to need the HBOs. Because, you know, they are consistently able to hit it out the park when it comes to the types of shows that are going to drive uh, viewership. Sopranos, Game of Thrones. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, you can't even compete with that kind of thing. But you need the middle. And the middle is Netflix and Prime and some of these other ones that rely on uh, independently developed content Um and that's what's going to keep them going. And that's what's uh, honestly, that's, I think what's going to keep us going. So that's the ironic thing. So I was kind of leading back to circle back. Yeah. Had it not been for that middle service provider. Right. I don't think that we would have been able to stay open as long as we have. And I think that we would see that the last door and for that matter, family video and some of the other ones would be struggling even more had it not been for good episodic television. Um, That's that was even true when I was still at Blockbuster in 2006, 2007. Right. Our, our big, our big, I mean, even the beginning of Netflix, it was, you could rent the whole season one by one, just line them up. Okay. I'm going to return that first disc, send me disc two. I want it. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, if you walk down the new release wall 
and, and they do have a new release wall. I swear to God, they do have a new release wall. If you walk down the new release wall in in uh, in Family Video, it's all episodic television, you know, with a sprinkling of superhero movies. And you're like, wow, this is a shift. Because oh, yeah? before it used to be like, oh, well, here's Sopranos and here's like 24 and here's, you know, Six Feet Under. Here's, you know, but now it's almost all episodic television with here's the Hollywood stuff. It's a it's very fascinating to see that. And I I kind of had a aha moment when I walked through there because I really started to think about it. And when and you know, and Alan and I uh have kind of gone back and forth on this, but he he pointed out the fact that, you know, Game of Thrones was just a monster renter in the stores. Um, because people would come in and rent it all the time. It would just rent and rent and rent and rent and rent. But, you know, without that, I don't know what that business model looks like, right? Yeah. It's a very interesting perspective. And I, that's why I'd really like to hear your conversation if you were able to get him on. I think that it would be very interesting for you guys to talk, uh, for you to get his perspective on it. Because um, when you really look at the total assessment of what, has happened and what it looks like. I, it, I'm convinced that had we bought Netflix, that our demise would have been significantly faster and it would have been significantly more complete. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't still be talking about it. Uh, yeah, and it, it would be pe- people still don't believe me when I tell them there's still one. Yeah, you know, exactly. because because in most people's minds, it died in you know between 2010 and 2014. Yeah. Right. That's the last anyone heard of it. And um, it's crazy, man. Uh, that's a really, really interesting perspective. And I hadn't even thought of it. Yeah. So it, like I said, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what Taylor's movie or documentary is like, because um, I'd really like to see the, uh, his take on it. Um, but I'm, I'm very anxious to see, um, the finished product of, of, of Alan's book. Cause I think, oh, that, I can't wait. Yeah. He will be able to bring in a perspective that will be from a business owner perspective and really, you know, and more than just a, you know, where did we go wrong? Kind of a thing. He'll look at it more holistically from a, here's where we were and here's where we are and here's kind of where we're going and what to expect. And I'm, I'm, I'm really anxious to to see that so um but anyway that's my take on it <laughs> no that's fascinating you, you brought up an interesting uh, point that my brain is now circling back to of you talk about providers and you know it used to be internet service providers right like aol was not your phone connection right aol right. was allowing you to access the internet through your phone connection but now the providers are not internet service providers they're internet providers right it's comcast giving you the portal but then you just go on the internet you're not paying anyone to let you on the internet at that point right it's very exactly you just have an different right it's a very different world so could there be a paradigm shift in like you know take away the names right you've got blockbuster netflix comcast paramount um hollywood video family video but is there a shift towards what the next provider is? Because if Comcast now has accepted the fact that they're not going to win the war against Netflix, so they've uh-huh. gotten in bed with them, 
Like if you, if you buy around here, if I pay for Comcast, if I pay for a triple play bundle, they pay my Netflix subscription. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So is it, is it, and and again, I'm not saying, you know, I don't want Comcast to die necessarily go away, but is there going to be a come to Jesus moment? where all of them kind of go, okay, there's a thousand of us. And maybe maybe this is Disney Plus. Maybe Disney are the people that have the clout to pull something like this off, where instead of it being, oh, we cut the cord and we got rid of cable and now cable's $300 a month, do they band together before we reach critical mass? And is I there even a crit? Yeah, I think is, that they're Is there actually, even a critical mass? Because I think they all seem to be doing well. To. I think they're going to actually have to because um, a friend of mine and I were talking about Disney Plus just the other day because I, I went ahead and got it um, because, you know, obviously the content's great. But um, <laughs> but on a side note, my wife really insisted. But I yep. uh, I got we got uh, Disney Plus And, you know, I thought about it. Uh, we were talking about it. My friend and I and, you know, he pointed out, well, OK, so once you get past the sort of nostalgic piece of it and you know they've got some original content on there for some star wars um you know live action stuff but you know unless you really want to dip into your toes into the vault of their previous movies and so forth it's just kind of like okay well i'm buying the service so if i want to go and watch a disney something that i'll be able to and and that model i think is going to be a problem I think that they'll be so closed to any other product, right? That I think that it will be a, it will ultimately be a business model that will be tough to maintain because it's, it's Netflix's original streaming model that almost, that almost backfired. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We have the blockbuster favorite section available to you. What about the new stuff? (laughs) Right. Right. And I, and, and it's getting very hard to, to know, um, you know, where to go find the content. And then you have a level of frustration when the content that you want to have is exclusively available on a streaming service that you don't have. And yet you don't want to pay the monthly, see where I'm headed. It, yeah. It's going to get very, uh, there, I think there's going to be a lot of pushback at some point. Um, when people actually sit down and they're like, Hey, I want to watch the new thing, but nah, I don't want to pay for this extra service. Yeah. Forget it. I'll just watch it later. I'll watch it at somebody else's house. And well, that's, that's why. That's why I find Comcast's model so brilliant. Because if I do a search now through my cable box and say I've got Hulu, Disney Plus, um, mm-hmm. I don't think Disney Plus is available on the cable box yet. But like Hulu or Netflix or whatever, it will search through the same window it doesn't tell me oh you're going to netflix now so if i go find me the adams family if it's on netflix it just starts playing it doesn't even yeah. tell me i've switched services right and, and that that's where i think they're all going is this gonna end i up think that you're absolutely like right i think i think that we're gonna have to get to that point because there's so many different devices and there's so many different providers and it's growing every day i think we're gonna have to get to that point um because then, there's just gonna be a level of we, frustration at the user level but then do we start losing the content because of lack of competition again? Because that that's the thing I love about Disney's model is that, yeah, they're Disney. And yeah, everybody that goes to a Star Wars movie knows that it's a Disney movie, whatever. I mean, at least the majority. But Star Wars, Marvel, they've kept the brand. 
So as far as the as far as the box office is concerned, they're still competing against each other. Do you know what I mean? I worry yeah. that we're going to end up with say Hulu and Netflix and HBO. We'll just use those three as as the three main ones creating new content. So mm-hmm. you've got Game of Thrones on HBO. So Hulu makes you know uh, a Harry Potter series, and then you know the other one makes a Lord of the Rings series, and they're all going against each other. Mm-hmm. If if they come together, let's say one of those is now was doing great for Hulu, mm-hmm. but the minute Netflix gets it, they look at it and they go, "Yeah, this isn't for us." Cause we already have content like this. That's yeah. the thing I worry about is when that critical mass hits, do we end up going the same direction we went with, with, with a company like blockbuster going down? I mean, even Disney, when Disney acquired Fox, look at all the productions they stopped. Well, I think that what it's going to turn into, honestly, in the, in the ultimate sort of view, I think what's going to turn into is you're going to have a consolidation of providers of content and that the people that are creating original content will turn into their own studios and they'll, yeah, I agree they'll with deliver, that. and they'll deliver the, the content to the provider to actually deliver to the house. I think you're and, absolutely right. Yeah. I think that I, I don't think that the, that the individual providers that are creating the content can actually maintain an exclusive agreement because I don't, I don't know that they're going to be able to come out with new content fast enough to do it, particularly in the here's the next season bam you know when you release it on a friday well you know okay so let's say that i got you know ozark ozark drops on a friday night and you know you binge watch it and like within a week you're done and then you have to wait a year well do i actually that's what i love you know that's what i love about disney and hbo is they at least make you stick for a couple months because their shows are weekly exactly and i think that i think that those types of things will have to be addressed if they're going to continue to do a uh, exclusive type content model. And th- that's why I think that you're going to see that the service providers that are creating the original content, Prime, Netflix, um, AMC, um, some of these guys, uh, FX to a lesser extent, uh, or Hulu, you know, uh, I think that you're going to see them become more studio centric and then they're going to leave the delivery of the content to the guys who actually bring it to the last, the last yeah. one consumer. You saw uh, Amazon already going there. I I'm, I'm waiting uh, for shortly for Amazon's film studio to be renamed yeah. right? for them to just yeah. branch off and go, this is, this is Amazon studio classics or something like that, you know, because yeah. they're, they're a real heavy hitter now. And I, and I think Netflix and Amazon, because of the discourse from the and, and I'm not saying they're wrong with this discourse, but because of the discourse from like the Steven Spielbergs and the Martin Scorsese's of the world that say, hey, if you're creating TV content, it's not film, but yet they're still making films. I think they're going to want to start distancing themselves from those names, especially as their movies start getting overlooked. Right. You well, know? and look at what uh, look at what Netflix did for um, bringing El Camino to the screen, which is the continuation yeah. of Breaking Bad after the fact. Right. You know, and 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 I think that they're probably going to tie the El Camino story back into Better Call Saul. I mean, it's just it's all circular, you know. Exactly. Uh, and so, I like I, this world. I I always said about the superhero movies when when I saw Spider Man, the very first one, the Sam Raimi Spider Man in the theater, mm-hmm. I said to my my friend Jared on the way home, "Now I want to see 
I want to see a Spider-Man B story. I want them to find like some independent filmmaker to make like a $20 million Spider-Man movie. That's just Peter Parker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and as soon as they started announcing TV shows, I'm like, we're doing it. We're doing yeah. Cause it's that that's really cool because I like the idea of giving people a chance to tell a story that, you know, Paramount or, or Universal or someone wouldn't want to promote. And I like that Disney and Marvel in particular have incorporated that a bit into their model of saying, hey, we're going to start hiring new and up and coming directors because you'd go, OK, that's that's fair. But that also gets you someone cheap that you can control. Right. But also it it's going to start breeding the next Spielbergs and people of the world where you get you know, it's no longer a filmmaker in their um, in their entourage. It's no, here's a studio that's willing to take a chance on you and give you something that's a surefire hit anyway. Right. <laughs> and you're right. going to hone your craft. Because, you know, and I, yeah, they're both taking risks on each other at that point. Well, and I, I love this because, you know, even if the movies don't do well, like, like, for example, Disney's remake of Pete's Dragon. Have you seen this? Uh, I know that the, that it was out there and I know it got panned pretty bad, but, uh, it, it, it one did not deserve that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, so, so, so here's the deal. I actually am not the kind of person to dismiss these Disney remakes because of pl places where they're able to fix some things that were a little kind of gross in the original versions or whatever. Sure. This Pete's dragon movie is Pete's dragon only in the fact that it's called Pete's dragon. And there's a kid named Pete who has an imaginary dragon. That's it. It is a wholeheartedly completely different film from the ground up. Yeah. And I love that about it. And I think that's why it got panned by some people is it was too different, but they, they hired a, a second time director to make this film. And mm -hmm. he had made nothing but independent movies beforehand. And even though this was like a $60 million movie that eventually kind of flopped a little bit, what does he do with his Disney money? He goes and makes a ghost story. The, right. the Casey Affleck wears a sheet in time travels movie. I <laughs> loved that movie. And I remember sitting there going, this is really what you like. <laughs> you came off of a Disney tentpole and you went and did this. I love that. Ryan Johnson makes the last Jedi still makes nearly $2 billion. A large portion of the Star Wars fan base hated it. I loved it. But then he goes and makes a, you know, a big actor filled little indie whodunit movie for fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I love, I love that they're still allowing. It, it just seems, it seems more exciting than it ever was. Even though the content is a little bit saturated. I, I love that these smaller studios are, are you know are coming into play and causing disney to make something like the mandalorian can, can you believe that the director of you know three of disney's biggest successes of recent time john favreau and the director of iron man that guy that guy made made and swingers his biggest movie before that was elf you know what i mean and now and now he's directing the jungle book and the lion king and the right. mandalorian tv show <laughs> it's just it's yeah, so it, nutty it's 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 so uh, it's so hard to uh, to contemplate that it's almost like looking at uh, it's almost like looking at Spielberg, but then realizing that he also did what, what Sugarland Express and uh, yes, and Google, right? Yes. Well, and yeah. that's the thing, right? Pe people complain, you know, that we're living in a world of studio tentpole movies and superhero sequels, which is the truth. But that's what the I mean, the first big '80s blockbusters. You know, can you imagine? If the internet existed when Spielberg, George Lucas, um, John Frankenheimer, 
James Cameron, all these guys were first at their shot. I would just be like, well, Jesus, who are all these guys making nothing but action and sci-fi movies? Where's Roman Polanski? Where's Woody Allen? You know right. what I mean? I mean it, it would be the know, same argument. <laughs> right. It would, have been, it would have been the Wild Wild West back then if they'd had the internet yeah. back then. Yeah. I mean, you know, who knows what we would have come up with. Right. Oh, man. That's, that's really wild. So um, I, I had a question. Are you the uh, are you the creator of Sandy's website? Uh, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm still just maintaining the the store at this point. Um, yep. I have not I have not dabbled on that. No, just wondering because I really like it, and I was going to say I think it's awesome. So <laughs> that's all. <laughs> well, in that case, then I'll take credit for it. No, just no, I, I think it's really cool. She actually told me that she's uh she's been working with whoever it was that created it to, um, to get a direct link to my stuff up on there, which I oh, think would be really cool. Yeah. Well, well, you know, and I'm, I'm telling everybody that I can to, to go out and listen to you guys. Cause, uh, I find your, your content very interesting. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best as it were. No, no problem. Hey, I, I, I thought of a couple of other, uh, stories real quick. If you, if you want, yeah, let's give it. A, it's it's been about an hour, and I and un, unfortunately to the world, I am doing this during work, so I do have to get back to work. But yeah, lay them on me. Let's hear. Okay, it. I've got a couple of quick stories for you. So, uh, ones that after we because I'd mentioned a couple of stories last time, and uh, and uh, when I'd finished, they were like, "Oh, why didn't you tell that story?" I was like, "Oh man." So I promised that I've ever came back on. So here we go. Um, we had one store that called in one night. This was when I was working with support. I was a manager at support at the time. We had a store that called in one time. It was a, it was a opening weekend uh, for them. And they had uh, uh, a uh, uh, big store, right? Corner of two six lane streets, huge store um, facing the corner. Um, beautiful front opening flagpoles the whole nine yards right and they called in because their system was down and upon further examination it turned out that a lot of the the equipment had actually gotten burned up and so we were like well how did that happen and they were real cagey we were talking to the actual franchise owner because they weren't even open yet right and they were real cagey about how it happened or what had actually happened to the store right and so we're yep. like, well, you know, look, we need to know who to send out. We need to know how bad it is. You know, let us know. And so he goes, okay, well, I'll tell you the story. It's so almost like, okay, the weekend that they were going to open, and this is while the guys were in the stores putting all the product on the shelves and everything. They had the system was up and they were ready to go. They were ready to shoot the first inventory, right? And there was a real bad rainstorm that came through. And the... Uh, uh, it was a lightning storm, and they had a lightning strike that hit the uh, flagpole, one of the three flagpoles that were out at the front of the store, and it hit the it hit the flagpole. The lightning bolt went down the flagpole and jumped and arced across to the lights that were lighting the flags, and it blew a trench from the light that was. In front of the flagpole, it blew a trench from the electrical line from the light that went <laughs> all the way back over to the store. It blew a six foot, three uh, six foot deep, three foot wide trench from the light all the way back to the store, 
and caught the store on fire. And we were like, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we had to grab the fire extinguishers and put out all the equipment and everything. And, but you know, er, you know, it's safe. The store didn't burn down, but all the equipment is cooked. We need all new equipment. And, you know, we were just standing there with our jaws on the floor and, uh, and he said, but, you know, don't tell anybody, you know, I'm one of the franchise owners. I'm, you know, I talked to my partners into putting the flagpoles out front and I feel awful about it and blah, blah, blah. I was like, wow. So he ended up having to send him an entire new system and everything. But I thought that that was a pretty extreme, <laughs> extreme uh, new opening story. So I thought you get a kick out of that one. That's amazing. Uh, and then the, the other one was every once in a while, uh, because of the fact that we were production support, every once in a while we'd be called in for investigations uh, for people that might be doing a little five-finger discount of product. And <laughs> we might have those to, folks. Yeah, those folks. And, you know, with an organization that big, you gotta you got to think that there might be a handful of people out there that try to do something nefarious, right? Uh, well, we we would get called in on these investigations to do product traces so we could actually look and, you know, do the sort of the forensic analysis in terms of product being sold and whether or not it was sold for the correct price or whether they were giving false discounts and all this and that and another. Well, and I'll not mention any names to protect the innocent on this, but we had a there was a contest, one of those uh, year in contests to see who could sell um, the most gift cards. You know, you remember those, right? Oh, yeah. And we had a contest out there to see who could uh, sell the most five, sell and redeem the most $5 gift cards because we were pushing them. And um, so you remember the gumball machines, obviously. You had the, one of the gumball machines, right? I do still have it, yes. And you remember how you would account for the sales in them. You'd empty the the change bucket every once in a while, and then you would count up the number of quarters, and then you would sell that many gumballs until the cash, right? Well, yes. This person actually like figured out the scam, and the scam was is that he would hold all of the quarters for a really long time, and then he would go through and he or she would go through and take all the quarters and they would buy that much in $5 gift cards. And then they would take the $5 gift cards and pay for the gumballs and gift cards. So you'd get the sale and the redemption. And so he obviously blew the numbers way out of the park and won the contest. <laughs> and the way we caught him was that we did the forensic analysis on it. And we found that all the transactions were happening before and after hours. And they were for these huge amounts. And he initially had explained some of it away by saying, well, you know, we had a charity come in and they bought like a whole box of gift cards or something along those lines. And the reason why we ultimately said, you know, you can't sell any more than X amount of gift cards to people when they come in the stores, they have to go through the corporate office, was because of that event. So, kind of an interesting little factoid on that. But I, 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 if he hadn't been so greedy, he probably would have gotten away with it. But I thought that it was kind of a uh, an interesting 
take on a on a scam. And I'm thinking, you know, if you put half as much effort into being honest as you did in terms of being dishonest, you'd probably be, you know, somebody. But then you end up getting fired and worse because of some, you know, scam that you get. I didn't even forget what the prize was. It wasn't even that big of a deal. But, you know, you can you believe that someone would actually go to that length to actually steal? It's just not. It's amazing to me. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and then the last story I'll tell wow. you. I know you. Uh, the last story. I'll these tell are you, great. No, but dude, these are great because it's ridiculous what people will do. Yeah, I know, right? I, right. Uh, and then I've got one more story for you. Um, real quick is that um, you may not know it or not, but one of the problems that we used to have in the stores was where you'd actually have a, a drive-through. So believe it or not, and you'd be shocked at how many times this actually happened but every once in a while you'd run into somebody who would actually you know for whatever reason mistake the gas for the brake or the brake for the gas and then they'd drive through the store and you'd have maybe one or maybe two of these a quarter so there's probably like you know maybe six or eight a year where someone would actually drive through or at least run into, but sometimes actually drive through the store. And, you know, some of them were traffic accidents. Some of them were just people that were sitting out front that just, you know, weren't paying attention. But one of them actually happened to a store that we were working at. And I, it, it's not funny because you, no one got injured. It's, it's, it's not a funny thing because of the risk to everybody involved. But it was funny in that when you watch the security tape back to watch this, the reaction of the employees, it was, it was pretty hysterical because if you've ever watched one of the security tapes back, you know, because it was old school VHS. So it would be like a frame of video, a frame of video, a frame of video, you know, so you it was like a slow motion stair, stutter step. <laughs> and so you see the the uh, it was one of the old diamond counter configurations and you watch it in black and white and all of a sudden you watch and you see the csrs that are and there's probably just a couple of people in the stores you see the csrs like their attention turns and they they turn and look back back behind them and you see them just sort of take flight as they jump through the air to jump over the counter and get out of the way and you see a car come right through what would have been the manager station and it kept going and it kept, it ran over the sales towers and it ran, <laughs> ran it ran through about six or seven rows oh my of, God. of uh, counters. I mean, this car was plowing through the store and then the only thing that stopped it was the safe that was in the office because they were the old bolt downs. They weren't even the portables. They were the bolt downs that were probably like four feet high. Um, and the safe in the back of the office actually stopped it because it hit the safe and went up on the safe, went, went through the wall that led from the, the uh, new release wall into the office. And it sort of stood cockeyed on the safe. And that's what actually stopped it. And to see the reaction of the employees and everything was just hysterical. And we, believe it or not, that night we were we were at the store, and you know everybody came up. We were like, "Oh my gosh, you know we got to clean up what happened and everything." Took out two full eight point eight foot um, sections of glass, you know, two wide, 
and we were cleaning up and everything, no power in the store and everything, and people were actually coming to the store getting angry because they couldn't rent. Now, that's devotion. When you see a store that's like, obviously, you know, someone's mowed through the store and they get upset because they can't return their videos and they can't rent. That's, <laughs> that's really something. Yeah, it's, dude, that's insane. <laughs> so anyway, just a couple of three stories to leave you with. <laughs> wow. Oh, dude, I really appreciate that. That That's, that's awesome. Excellent. Well, listen, well, dude, uh, I yeah, really appreciate having me on again. Oh, dude, we, we got to do this again. Are you kidding me? Especially after the uh, after Taylor's movie comes out, for sure. But also with, the, with that, especially with that book. But if you come up with more stories and you get um, you get uh, those those guys you mentioned um, to reach out to me, I'd really appreciate it. I, I definitely will. And, and uh, uh, really appreciate the uh, the invite back and uh, looking forward to continuing to listen to to your future podcasts. Oh, dude, I appreciate it. So, uh, you know, do you have anything you want to leave the people with? Oh, no, just uh, thanks. Thanks, everybody, for uh, continuing to support The Last Store out there and uh, and to listen to the podcasts and, uh, you know, be kind, rewind. Awesome. Thank you all for coming along with me on the Talkbuster podcast. Um, thank you for making it a Talkbuster night or day or whenever you're listening to this. And, and like uh, Dave said, please be kind, rewind, and um, I uh, will talk to you all soon. Bye.